0: Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Connell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Connell.
1: Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we've got a guest from Austin, Texas. His name is Mitesh Karya, and he is the CTO of The Zebra. The Zebra company produces, what well, you would call it an insurance uh, search engine, kind of like the kayak for insurance, right? And uh, Mitesh has been interested in technology pretty much his whole life, and he has a great story to tell. So I'm gonna get right in. Welcome, Tesh. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me uh, on the call, Joni.
1: Oh, great. So you were telling me some really interesting things about uh, how you got to be where you're at now at, uh, at the Zebra and as a CTO and your tech background. Tell our listeners a little bit about you.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, w- I have actually been interested in technology since the I want to say the early 80s when I had a TRS-80 uh, with a cassette tape drive. Uh, And I was fascinated by it and by the games and I started learning how to program and save my programs to the cassette tape drive Um, And then you know my dad was an electrical engineer and uh, happened to bring home You know what at the time was a workstation for him like a you know massive computer Which was just an 8086 and so uh, you know it it ran this thing called the gem operating system or gems operating system And Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I started just digging in I taught myself assembly. I taught myself basic. I taught myself Pascal um, you know, I started dialing up the bulletin board systems and learning the ins and outs and and eventually got interested in building computers, running Linux, uh, and, you know, got to the point where I, I actually built a, uh, a neural network. I wrote a, a neural network.
1: Whoa, a neural in, network.
0: In high school. Yeah, in high school to try to predict weather patterns. Um, and wow. so I got to, um, play around with, uh, you know, running it on a Cray rewriting it in Fortran for this massively parallel connection machine. And so I had a lot of, you know, I, I've been interested in computers for, for a very long time. Um, and then, you know, ended up studying computer science and math and, you know, minoring in psychology in college and, and, have you know, pretty much always known that I was going to be in technology. Interesting. And, and yeah, so, uh, so, you know, that was, uh, that was me. And then, you know, I guess probably apropos to what we, uh, uh, I want to discuss today. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, first generation, born from uh, you know immigrants from India, and uh, and you know grew up speaking two languages at home, learning about Indian culture as well as American culture, and then you know blending the two and using my experiences from you know from everything I, I learned from all the different cultures to drive me forward and that, that to see how that uh, you know that those different points of view and different experiences really helped me and I think that that being the case as well as growing up you know first generation and uh, you know that really helped me understand and value what diverse teams and diversities and different viewpoints brought to the table uh, and it really wanted me or got me interested in in both building and growing and you know managing diverse teams
1: Interesting. Well, it seems like here at the Zebra, you've really been leading the charges to diversify your teams. And I'll just give a little quick shout out here to seven CTOs as well, because that's how I met you when you were talking uh, at one of their conferences uh, recently about this topic of how to diversify your teams. And um, why don't you tell our listeners, first of all, why Mm -hmm. does diversity help and how?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a good question because that, you know, there's a lot of people that, especially nowadays, is like, okay, we have to have a diverse team, but we don't always talk about why and mm-hmm. what that that helps. And so I'll, I'll share an anecdote that is just, you know, one part of this from uh, when we were early days at the Zebra and myself and our, uh, you know, one of our co-founders, Josh, were designing what would be our, you know, our first release, our alpha or our beta. And we were whiteboarding and, and we were designing the thing that we thought that we would want to use mm-hmm. um, and we you know built that, released it, and then what we learned through that is that forty percent of drivers in Texas drive uninsured, and that there are a significant number of them that pay their insurance on prepaid debit cards because they are they pay enough to get legal and get their registration, and then they let it lapse, and it's because oh. they're deciding on you know, do I pay this or do I pay my utility bill or my phone bill? Mm -hmm. And while I didn't come from, you know, significant means, I thankfully was lucky enough to, uh, to never have to worry about, are we legal? Do we have lights? Right. Right. But that, that, that different perspective was something that never even occurred to either of us Mm -hmm. because we had not lived it. Right. And so that's one, one little example of how and why diversity in terms of experiences, viewpoints, age, experience, uh, you know, everything uh, is is critical to actually building a, uh, a better company and team.
1: Yeah. So especially in tech development is what I'm hearing that that experience of understanding who your potential customers are who your bases. Yeah.
0: Right. And being able to empathize and understand uh, consumers, mm-hmm. being able to uh, to evaluate and view different different, uh, different, uh, points of view mm-hmm. and, uh, and understand is is critically important.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I hear a lot of people thinking about diversity and kind of coming up with excuses. Why not? You know, because, um, usually it's like, well, it's hard to find the qualified candidates out there. Uh, you know, we just don't have enough in our pool of people that we're looking for, especially in technology. You need really highly qualified people. So I know you faced that at the zebra, and what kind of strategies or methods have you used to attract diverse candidates, like to hire qualified people?
0: Sure, and you know I'll start and say actually it it is challenging, and but it's it's absolutely doable, and I'll challenge people to do it mm. because it's worth it. And um and one of the reasons it's challenging is that in general I you know and this is my view we as humans want to be around people that are like us. Yes. Um, and that goes to recruiting as well, which is we tend to, you know, subjectively prefer people who are like us. People applying tend to look at those companies. And if, you know, if it, the group of people, those companies don't represent them, then they're not as interested, right? So it is a challenge and it does require being extremely intentional about it. It, it doesn't happen by accident. Um, and so what are, you know, some of the things that we started to do is, uh, you know, it, it actually started way back when we had an engineering team of four people. Um, and, you know, it was all male, but thankfully we had people of different backgrounds, right, that we were able to, to attract. And, you know, this is about the point where I started thinking, if, I don't br- if I'm not able to find a woman and, uh, you know, and start the process of building a gender diverse team, it's going to become more and more daunting for a woman to come in to a, a larger team full of men. Right. right. And so uh, around that time, I was looking for help in terms of management of the team. And uh, I you know, sought uh, to hire a project manager. And I thought to myself that, OK, this is a, an opportunity for me to remove uh, the requirement to be technical, to widen the top of the funnel and and focus on bringing in a qualified woman to the team. Uh, that hands down has been the best hire I've made in my entire career. Um, she went on from being our project manager to then our director of engineering. And just recently I promoted her to be our VP of engineering.
1: No kidding. So how did she end up uh, in such a technical role or is it not really that technical?
0: Oh, it is, but she picked up enough along the way. And she, uh, she's just a phenomenal leader and uh, a, a people leader, uh, you know, a motivator, as well as she learned enough on the technology side to, uh, to be able to understand when to call BS, when to go bring in help, you know, and, and you know, sh- she's not going to architect the system, but I didn't need that. I'm the CTO. I have, you know, people with strong software engineering background. I need someone as a VP of engineering that can drive delivery, that can manage the team, that can grow the team. And she's been phenomenal at that. And so, uh, so you know, that not only did it help start the growth in terms of a, building a, a diverse team but it also ended up becoming, you know, probably my, my most critical hire.
1: Yeah. Well, I loved what you said about opening up the funnel or widening the funnel. And, you know, is that something that you've used in other hiring decisions as well?
0: Uh, It is. And, you know, what we, another thing we did is we, you know, we said specifically for the majority of our roles, actually, I don't think we've ever made it mandatory to have a college degree.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh,
0: um, and that's on our, on our website, all the roles, I think we list a must have, and then, you know, nice to have, um, or it would be, you know, additional and process. And in the must have, we never put a college degree in there mm-hmm. because, you know, there are some roles that we're hiring for where yes, a, a background or experience in computer sciences is, is what we're looking for. But then we, to balance that, we went out and said, Hey, you know, Let's go to some of the you know non-traditional education sources. Let's go to some of the boot camps. Let's go to um, to Africa, um, you know, and, and let's let's go and build a team. And then we'll balance that with some of the experience uh, that you know the more traditional search for te- uh, technology talent that people you know go for. And we'll balance that and then grow some of the younger talent. But we don't have to stick with just college hires in CS, right? We okay. can go and, and, and that's going to be a place and that was a place where we were able to find uh, more women, more people of color, et cetera.
1: Okay, so let's, let's uh, get into a little bit of detail here. So you widen the funnel, you find people from non-traditional sources, but yet you also find that they're qualified. How do you, you know, sort of uh, do that kind of screening to make sure that they can do what uh, you need them to do?
0: Sure. Uh, you know, Honestly, a lot of it at that point really comes down to, to hunger. Right. And and, you know, when you're looking for someone and this this comes you know with college, too, which is you're looking for someone who you believe can be on the right trajectory and learn and grow. Someone who has a desire to learn, someone who wants to take ownership and has shown problem solving and analytical skills right now with computer science. Sure. They they have some uh, learnings or theory that they they've brought on and understanding, but they're not going to have the experience. Um, in fact sometimes that can you know speaking from my own personal experience that right. can get a little bit in the way where i certainly was probably uh, you know right out of college a little bit more you know cocky or uh, or you know uh, uh overconfident in my own you know ex- lack of experience and lack of need for experience
1: right cuz the real world's a lot different than a classroom yeah
0: right <laughs> yeah. But so so yeah so a lot of it is about looking at why they switched right? What, Mm -hmm. you know, what drives them? Are they able to solve problems? Do they want to solve problems? Did Mm -hmm. they learn to code or did they learn to, to solve problems really? Okay. Uh, And so that's, you know, that's what we look for. That's the, the thing that we try to, to seek out in the interview because you can teach anyone a language. Yeah. Right. You can teach people to code. That's a way to express solving those problems, but understanding, you know, that, that underlying, ability to to get a, a machine or someone to to solve a problem is actually truly what it's all about
1: yeah that sounds that sounds really interesting, so you're talking about it's it's not just how many languages you can code in and your proficiency there it's how well do you solve problems, which is really what the underlining issue is when you are using a language yeah right. huh um, well, what kinds of I don't know, maybe unexpected themes came out of this, you know, when you started widening this funnel and getting people without the traditional backgrounds, what what came up that was sort of better and worse, you know, on both sides? Sure.
0: So, I I mean, on the better side, honestly, that there was a lot more empathy, right? Uh, You know, you would think that people we would have, and and we did have a little bit of where people like, okay, they don't understand how to solve these different things, but then, you see the the effort and what goes into changing a career or, or, you know, being that person where you may have imposter syndrome anyway, and then it's magnified by the fact that you're someone who's, you know, a, a female or a person of color and then came from a non-traditional background. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that did is it really helped tamper the sense of entitlement that, you know, I think is kind of growing in technology, especially where, you know, salaries are rising there no, you know, everyone's in demand, Uh, you know, that sense of entitlement is growing, but it's refreshing to see the opposite where, you know, there are people without those opportunities and looking for their first opportunities and to see that be completely squashed and and that perspective brought to the team. So we, you know, we were able to see that collaboration, see egos come down. Um, And then the other thing that that helped drive was because, you know, these people didn't come up in an, a computer science or engineering or tech culture and background. We actually had to go formalize some of the stuff around a career ladder and growth, you know, earlier, mm-hmm. which was a good thing because we had to be able to communicate and paint that picture and explain what comes next and how they grow in their careers. Whereas you know, had it had we not had the you know those people from those different backgrounds, we could have we may have waited on that stuff, and I would I would argue that that would have been a bad thing to wait too long on that. Right. Um, yeah. On the on the flip side, of the, yeah. So what are some of the you know things that mm-hmm. we ended up you know we did end up erring on the side of of we had a rather than having over engineered uh, software, there have been times where we actually had under engineered software. Okay. Now in in a startup. I, I still would argue that you know while you want to stri- strive to find that balance, it's better to be slightly under engineered than over engineered because it's all about finding the the business model, iterating, keeping pace. But then that can compound, right? And so we, as we've now grown and we've been able to kind of balance the the team. We raised our our last round in September of 2017, mm-hmm. and that allowed us to grow the team and go and fill specific holes. And so we can skew more computer science and technical for our infrastructure and platform team, right? Whereas the product teams don't need to skew that way. And so, but th- those teams can then go focus on shoring up some of the the underlying aspects that, you know, perhaps were just ignored or not that we didn't pay attention to. Right. Because we were, you know, the the people doing the work didn't have the experience or background to do that.
1: So this is something that, uh, perhaps was a liability a little bit under-engineered, you said, as, as the mm-hmm. airing, but yet you had uh, the sort of diverse approach and the creativity and, and all of that for, for people to to solve this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And to kind of look for new solutions that people who are all more homogeneous might not have been able to see as easily.
0: Right. And, you know, honestly, a lot of those people were because it was under-engineered or like the reason some of it was under-engineered is is a lot of those people were more geared towards just getting something done versus mm-hmm. getting something perfect. Right. In terms of, ah, that, which that is mind. very
1: un uh, nerd like. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and it's because they, you know, they came to it from a different background and they mm-hmm. learned about how to go get things done as opposed yeah. to the perfect way to do certain things.
1: Mm-hmm. So does that make them faster at getting things out?
0: Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it, it depends like just, Just like uh, with anyone, you know, right out of college or whatever, sometimes they're slower just because they don't know the right solution to go take in the first case. So they have to try a bunch of different things. Okay. And you know, one of the benefits of experience is that you can look at a problem and immediately narrow down and say, okay, I need to go do this, or I need to do one of these two things. So yes, in some cases they're faster. They're certainly faster to just like, let's just go.
1: Right. And one of the things I'm hearing too, is they're a little bit, Um, you know, more able to take some risks and try things out. One of the things that I hear so often about younger people coming into the workplace today is the being risk averse, Mm -hmm. because the whole perfectionist, you know, people are so used to getting A's in school and, um, you know, looking so amazing on social media and being perfect that they're not willing to take the risks as much. But you've got people who have clearly already taken risks to change careers and traditionally, right, exactly. so they're out there trying and they're going to keep going until they, they find a solution.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and so, so yeah, you know, we, I, one of the things I was extremely proud of is that, you know, when I, I, I think when I met you at that conference at that point, uh, half of our team or a little bit over half of our team was non-traditionally educated. Uh, and yeah. by that, I mean a, a non-STEM degree. Now some of those people had been in the field for a long time. Uh, some of them had been in that field for a short time, but, you know, it was refreshing that we had those different perspectives and that, that different sense of, uh, of opportunity and entitlement and growth and, and different career paths to contribute to, uh, to what it takes to actually build a, a company.
1: You know, you've mentioned entitlement a couple of times now, and this comes up a lot on my podcast, you know, people, this tech techno entitlement kind of factor, you know, how does that arise and you know, what, are some ideas that you have here in terms of uh, reducing it with your diverse approach
0: yeah you know it, it's a it is uh something that is coming up and and you know it is a generalization right like mm-hmm. it's not everyone for sure but you know if you look at it in a situation where the supply of of uh you know good engineering talent is far lower than the demand for engineering talent um you know the it's kind of like the people in the driver's seat are the engineers Right. So salaries are going up, you know, which is basically putting them in this posi- putting engineers in this position of you need me, yep. I don't need you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so, what are you going to do for me, um, right? You can go back to the famous uh, you know, JFK quote: you know, ask not what uh, ask <laughs> <laughs> not what the country can do for you, but you can do for your country, right? Like right. it's it's this kind of uh, you know backwards dynamic because of just the the market economics mm-hmm. right now. Um, And so, uh, so that, you know, naturally in some ways leads to that, some of that entitlement. Um, And that is really where, you know, we, we've seen that balancing a team with people who uh, are looking for the opportunity. Also, they have the talent, they have the capability, but perhaps not the, the access to the, the, the ability to show it. Um, You know, for example, we started working with a, a company called Andela back in the summer of 2016. And, and Della, uh, their, their overall vision is that, you know, brilliance is evenly distributed, but the opportunity isn't. And so they, you know, have been working to kind of provide that opportunity to a lot of great talent on the African continent. Right. And so, you know, we started working with them and now have 14 engineers in Africa, uh, that have been a phenomenal addition to our team. Uh, they've brought this energy, this passion, this drive to the team, and uh, and again, more perspective because they didn't have the opportunity. And these are these are extremely talented uh, people uh, that I would love to have on the team here as well. Um, and they've allowed us to to really kind of inspire the rest of the team. They come out to the U.S. you know uh, once a year if I'm out here, and, and they don't just you know, work within the engineering team, but they, they inspire the the entire company.
1: Nice. Well, you know, this brings up another issue. You're talking about non-traditional sources. I mean, Africa is pretty far away from mm-hmm. Austin and, uh, you, you still, you say they still work there. So you're dealing with them remotely. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that come up for you? And you know, what kind of, uh, I don't know, changes have you had to make to manage remote teams?
0: You know, it's uh we had uh, it started with some teams in uh, in or a few engineers in uh, in India and you know some in Ukraine at various times. So we'd always had a little aspect of that, but it's really um, you know, one, it's helped that that Africa and the the bulk of our team there is in Lagos, Nigeria, which is actually in line with kind of Western Europe time zone.
1: Oh, so, that's uh, convenient.
0: Yeah, which is so while they're they're shifted and they're remote, it's not as as uh difficult from a time zone perspective as Asia is. Um, So that's helped, but it's also really helped us embrace things like uh, video chat, Um, and we use it for everything. And what that meant was that once we started getting more and more remote employees within the US, we were already set up for that. We've also done things where we've tried to put everyone on the same, you know, on an even playing field where we've said, hey, for this meeting, even the people in the Austin office, Every you know everybody join from their own laptops or their own computers mm-hmm. with headsets, and that way rather there being, than there being one conference room and a couple people remote, everyone's on an even playing field mm-hmm. so we've done things like that you know it's allowed us to then have you know people that and we have an engineer who started working with us in Austin, uh, wanted to move for personal reasons, and uh, you know he was able to continue working with us because we were already set up. Uh, from a process standpoint, from a company standpoint, from a technology standpoint, to support that, yeah, and so it's helped us actually uh, now build or or grow teams in different ways as well.
1: What what challenges have come up though? I mean, these are all great things. Like, what, what else has happened that that might have been harder to deal with?
0: Yeah, and I mean, and, and part of that is is pretty common with any kind of remote team uh, is that there's there's an extra communication overhead. Uh, Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it requires more things to be written down. There is a little bit more back and forth. It does require more written communication at times, which, you know, sometimes people prefer in person. Um, So there is a little bit of this, uh, this back and forth sometimes where, you know, and, and with the, with the time zone, you can end up saying, okay, I can't get this done right now. I can do it later or someone's asleep versus someone's awake. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would say that the benefits have outweighed those challenges and continue to. Um, But yeah, the the coordination and the communication definitely is, you know, is slightly more work than it would be if someone was face-to-face in the office.
1: Does that mean just um, in terms of like sort of having to over-communicate or mitigate conflict that might come up or miscommunications? No,
0: I think it's more around, uh, you know, communicating context around things and people not being around to just... uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations that when you're in one office tend to just happen organically or, Mm -hmm. you know, people find someone in the, in the uh, break room and they just start having, you know, uh, an impromptu conversation that doesn't happen with remote teams. Right. Um, So everything has to be more explicit, intentional. So that stuff has to, the the entire context and background often has to be communicated uh, more explicitly.
1: Do you see each other face to face at all?
0: We do. Um, And so the the entire team we we bring out half the team in the spring mm-hmm. uh, the other half the team in the fall for two to three weeks and then we have started uh sending a group of four to five people from austin to africa every summer and so wow. we have three different touch points and i'm a big believer for remote teams that in the uh in the value of periodic face-to-face communication
1: why is that
0: uh just because uh, you get to you actually get to empathize with them you get to learn about the person and who they are and how they work you know when we go there I've been out there twice I get to meet their families I get to meet you know for the ones that have kids I get to see the way they work and their friends and how they interact and and there's something like they're a person they're not just a uh, you know a a face on the other side of a computer or a voice right and that helps actually it, it helps people treat them as part of the team and not get into this out of sight, out of mind, or they're just someone, you know, someone somewhere else. They're, they're truly become part of the team just physically sitting somewhere else.
1: Yeah, that is so critical. I mean, again, though, when I do actually do a lot of work with uh, virtual teams and, and remote work, and uh, like we're talking about with hiring diverse people, you know, it's like when you're Having that face to face time, people give the excuse of, "Oh, it costs too much. you know how do you get around that? Where do you see uh, the cost benefit of all that
0: the cost benefit i I'd say you know honestly w- w- if you look at it, what's the risk of especially nowadays hiring only in Austin when you know Google's moving here, facebook's moving here. Yeah. Um, you know, Apple's building a massive campus, Oracle's got a massive campus and, you know, thankfully, thankfully Amazon didn't decide to put a, you know, HQ2 here, but uh, I would actually look at it different as like, what's the cost of not diversifying, of not, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, looking for other ways to grow your team? Because what happens when, you know, in Indeed, which I love and as a local employer, but they're hiring a lot of people right. and they have the means to go pay more than we do. Right. And we want to be competitive. We want to have a, a like definitely want to compensate people really well and, and, you know, fairly and give them the experience. But there's no way we can compete with a company like Indeed when it comes to just compensation. Uh, not yet. Hopefully we, you know, we'll be. Yes, in that okay. Yeah. Um, and so I actually kind of look at it a, a, the opposite way of like, what's the cost of not doing it?
1: Interesting. So a part of that is just getting the good talent, getting the best of the best, mm-hmm. but all over the world. Right. Um, it's, it's a really small price to fly people around a little bit and house them in different locations to right. those relationships and that communication.
0: Yeah. Right. And, I, and one of the other smart things that Andela did uh, early on is that that cost was part of the monthly uh, you know, salary that we would pay. And so it was amortized out across 12 months. So rather than there being, from a, from a purely logistic and budgeting standpoint, rather than there being one lump sum payment yeah. or thing, line item on the budget that could easily be slashed if necessary, it was spread out over time.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: Which also, in a lot of ways, reflects the value in it, right? Because it pays off over time too. And it really, if you look at it on a monthly basis, isn't that much.
1: Yeah. I mean, wow, that's really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, giving them high praise there, <laughs> and you've internalized that too, at the zebra, not just with Andela, right?
0: Right, ex- exactly. Which is that you know, so this trip that we've taken out there, we tried it, and it was you know is valuable enough that it's now part of our annual budget. Yep. And it's it's just there. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, we we've shown the value. We, it's been able to to uh, you know kind of grow our teams, and we've been able to 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 execute because of it.
1: Wow, uh, that is that is actually just so um, impressive that you really have these numbers to prove it and also just the feeling there that you've experienced it. I want to ask you one final question before we have to sign off because we've used up so much of our time, but you've talked also about growing your team so much and mm-hmm. you also started out with a team of three, right? And then right. you said you had to hire that fourth and how, how many people do you have now?
0: I have roughly 60 people on my
1: team. Oh, okay. So that's a big difference. So it is. Let's, let's wrap this up by going back to you personally. How mm-hmm. have you grown or, you know, what kind of things have, have you had to do to suddenly be able to manage a team of 60?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I'll say, you know, from a nerd standpoint, uh, I'm solving different problems now, right? I, I, don't, I haven't coded for years, mm-hmm. but, you know, and, and people often ask me, do I miss it? And I, I think about it, I was like, occasionally little bits, but I'm still solving problems. I'm just solving very different problems. I'm solving business problems. I'm solving product problems. I'm solving organizational problems. I'm solving communication problems, um, technology problems, but on a broader scale, right? And so I've had to, you know, to grow and learn over time to, you know, of how I'm going to communicate through vision and through direction. Um And, you know, especially at this level, how I have my entire job is really about communication in different ways, different shapes, different forms, oftentimes communicating the same thing over and over again, but to different groups of people. Um, And that even though I have the authority of a title, my leadership is a lot through influence. Um, And, uh, you know, as opposed to by telling people you have to do it this way right? And so I, you know, built up a team of of great leaders and managers, and then have to, you know, give them the room to, uh, to both have their ownership and fail, but not fail spectacularly, and then give them the ability to learn from those, you know, mistakes, but then still make sure we're, we're moving forward as a company too. So it's been a, it's been a great, you know, great growth path. I've, uh, I've loved it. It's a, it's a different challenge, and it's but you know one that I I love. After you know 20 years of of being you know more on the coding technology side, uh, it, it's nice to be solving different problems.
1: Wow, you say it so much better than I do. I mean, people always ask me how I went from engineering to psychology, and I'm like, mm-hmm. exactly what you said. I'm still solving problems, you know, but they're people problems, people issues, than rather than uh, technical ones, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I love the way you say that it was a nice opportunity for you to just sort of grow and do something different. So you have mm-hmm. a constantly changing landscape. Right. Doing the same problems over and over again. So that was really interesting.
0: Yeah. I've always been fascinated by people and yeah. what makes them tick. You know, I, I minored in psychology yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, as a leader, I find you know, I, I take a lot of inspiration from sports leaders and their, you know, their use of psychology and sports psychology in terms of building teams. And so it, it, that part really, really interests me. And so I, I I love it.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating to have a psych minor, too. Uh, I have to think about that for other engineers. I mean, yeah. I teach some um, some college students and have them think about that, how they can combine the two, because it can just come up in so many different ways. Well, I don't want to go down that path right now because we've come to the end of our time But your story is really interesting, you know bringing in the diverse teams how to manage these groups to be better collaborators to work across the world and uh, Grow yourself in the process from technical, you know problems to people ones. I mean, I think you're a real inspiration to our Listeners and our viewers. So thank you Tesh. Well, well thank you.
0: Thank you very much. I you know, I I hope I can continue to do it because it's the the job is never done and so uh so I I certainly welcome any ideas our listeners have too. Um
1: Well, how can they get in touch with you? Speaking yeah. of
0: Uh absolutely. So I you know, I'm on Twitter, uh tesh11, t e s h 11, and I'm on LinkedIn as well, also under tesh11.
1: Excellent. That's so easy. Uh so we'll also have that in our show notes. Um, And I love that you're interested in hearing from other people and just continuing the dialogue here. So thanks again, Tesh, for being on Reinventing Nerds.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, and thanks to all our listeners. We're here uh, at reinventingnerds.com. So please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next time.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.